Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Entercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake, and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors. Aboard! <laughs> You're on the crazy train. All aboard! <laughs> Welcome to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan. And welcome to this week's edition to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. We're so happy you're with us today. And by us, I mean Dan Bush and myself, Tom Neubauer, and of course, Sam Schmitz on the boards. Uh, if you want to be a part of the show, just give us a call at 414-799-1250. That's 799-1250. And you can always email us, but I won't read it till later on in the week and I'll get back to you next week. But you can email us at uh, ceoguys.com at yahoo.com good morning dan good morning sam good morning morning so uh how was how was your weeks any anything exciting this last week going on well tom um i canceled my guide trip this week i was supposed to take dr sandy out but on monday i believe i went out here in and first thing in the morning it was the water temp was 85 degrees and wow. we were supposed to be into the 90s for air temperature that day, so I figured, heck, it's only going to go up from there. Um, so the water is cooling off a little bit now. If you look to your right, I've got an expensive gauge I bought, the Klein Finder, which is really cool. You can lower it down to 50 feet. It'll tell you the different temperatures. Today, the water temp is 81.8 right out here in the shallows, so it has cooled right. down a bit. Yeah, that's awful cold, and uh, you have told me in the past, and other people have told us too, that uh, it's not really good to be musky fishing if that water temperature is over 80 degrees, especially if it's like 85 or 88. Can you explain that to, to the audience? Well, you know, as far as, I'm not like some some people who kind of like, they say like 80 degrees, like that's uh, that that's like some magic magic mark where any, any musky you're going to die. 
at 80 degrees. Matter of fact, I remember when I was on Lake of the Woods years ago and I talked to an old uh, Native American guide up there. I think his name was Dan Gappin. And I said, when's the best time to come up here to get the 50 inches? He said, when that water temp gets to 80 degrees, those big females, their metabolism's going fast and they... He was kind of encouraging casting for them at that water temperature. Now, as far as uh, for trolling, it's, it's, it's a bit, I think it's tougher on them because you're dragging them in, you know, you're maybe trolling down a little deeper and you're fighting them a little longer as opposed to when you're maybe casting in shallow water. Um, you know, when the water temp does get above that 80 degree mark, you really want to be super careful. Um, I, typically, if it's between 77 and 80, I really haven't had any problems. But once it does get up into like that 82 to 85, um, that's when I avoid. That's when I avoid fishing if I can out there. Water release. Now, one misnomer that some people have on Pewaukee is they seem to think that if you're pulling a fish from 17 feet down, that it's coming from 60 degree water temp up to 80, and and it's not. I've taken my uh, device there that I you know had have sitting right next to you there, Tom. It's a pretty cool thing, and I've gone. And at, at 17, 18 feet, I still had 70 degree water temp almost all the way down to 20 feet. So it's not that drastic of a change as what some people would, you know, would think that there's some big thermocline where it's, you know, 60 degrees down there at, at 15 feet. But it is, is a change. And uh, I think it's kind of like you ran a marathon and then all of a sudden had to hold your breath for a while in a sauna, well, that'd be pretty tough on you. Well, if you're catching one of those fish, high water temps, you're pulling it out of the water, holding it for a bunch of pictures and stuff, that's kind of what I'd compare it to. So you really just got to be careful and, uh, and just kind of... The water temps are cooling down, but last week when I went out and saw 85 degrees, I thought, heck, it's going to be up to 88 probably by the middle of the day, and I thought, no way am I going to go out there and fish when it's that hot. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny, though, it doesn't seem like that uh, warmer temp water temperature doesn't seem to affect, you know, like other fish, like it affects the muskies and maybe also the pike, you know. Um, I, I've never seen a problem with bass or panfish, you know, or walleyes or anything like that. So may, maybe it's just those larger fish that are affected more by it. You know, but, it's, uh, it, yeah? it's interesting, Tom, you mentioned pike. I, I've never really had a problem with pike. Um, I don't know if they're just a little bit not as fragile as a muskie or not, and, and maybe one of our one of our listeners has had some experience with releasing the pike. But they uh, even in hot water, cold water. Now the the warm water, um, the pike don't feed as efficiently, and in the summer you get one sunken stomach and a big head. But as far as releasing them, I really haven't had a problem with the pike. And, and truth be told, rarely do I have a problem releasing the muskie if you just do a water release, you know, real quick or one quick right. picture if you right. have to and get them back in the drink. Right, yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't be that difficult for most people. But there are those people that maybe keep that fish out of the water a little too long, but they just don't realize maybe what they're doing. And hopefully by listening to, you know, a show like ours or reading magazine publications that talk about this, maybe they'll become more enlightened about that and maybe take a little bit better care of the fish. Because it's one of the reasons why not just Pewaukee Lake, but a lot of lakes have such good musky fishing is because a lot of the anglers out there do take care of the fish. They do practice catch and release. 
I'm not saying people got to release every darn fish they catch, no. Uh, but, you know, most people do practice catch and release, and they know how to take care of the fish. So it's one of the reasons we have such great musky fishing around us, you know, which, you know, we're blessed to have that, you know, really. I mean, look how, I mean, right outside your door, Danny, there's monster muskies, you know. And in, in southeastern Wisconsin, there's a whole handful of lakes that anglers can go to and actually have a chance at catching a trophy. So that's pretty cool, you know. That yeah. is pretty cool. The people, most people preaching to the choir here, most people who are listening to our show know this, but a couple of things to keep in mind. Make sure you have your hookout tools ready for you um, when you catch a fish. Have a decent net. Keep it in the net, in the water, kind of using that as a, a live well over the side of your boat. And then get ready to pull out and take a picture quick. Also, don't don't have eight cameras. You're not doing, you know, a Playboy, you know, January, Miss January Playboy shoot where you got to take a shot with this camera, that camera. Oh, now give me, let's do the one with this camera. Oh, let me hold it this way. Have one camera, take one good shot, and get it back in. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, when you say have those hookout tools ready, even when I'm bass fishing, I have a needle nose pliers ready because every now and then you get one that's stuck in there so bad you need that needle nose pliers. But Danny, uh, to get off the subject a little bit, I, I got to tell you this one. Um, back in April, there were nine individuals sighted. I like to bring these things up about these yahoos out there poaching, doing illegal things. Uh, nine individuals were cited for poaching walleyes down in Kenosha County. This comes uh, by the way of Larry Polinski. And uh, Larry says that from April 4th to April 7th, two DNR wardens watched these guys. And there's a place, uh, let's see now, I got to look for, oh, it's called uh, Pollywog Creek in Trevor. Now, in April, this is a closed fishing area, all right? There's no fishing allowed there. But yet, these people will go down there at night and spear them. They'll net them. I guess the walleyes are very vulnerable uh, because it's a smaller area, shallower water, where they can actually net the darn things and sh throw a spear into them. So anyway, the DNR caught these yahoos, and they got some big fines coming their ways. But you know what? I don't believe the fines are big enough. You know, they, 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 find, they might find them a couple hundred bucks. It's like, that's that's not a deterrent for a lot of these yahoos. Find them a couple thousand dollars. Put them in jail for a week, maybe. You know, I mean, do something that will really be a deterrent to a lot of these people who do this. Because so, we read about this all the time. You know, all the time. So, and here's another one. You'll like this one, Danny. You'll like this. You know, over in the town of West Bend... They've got too many darn deer out there. Now, instead of doing like New York did, where they were going to try to sterilize them, or actually, uh, uh, what, what do they call that? <laughs> they were going to put IUDs in the female deer, you know, catch them, drug them, do an operation, and then wake them up and let them go again at a cost of 3 or $4 million. I mean, it was crazy, right? Well, the West Bend people decided, hey, we'll send out some sharpshooters. So uh, between January 29th and March 17th, these sharpshooters went out every now and then, and they shot 58 deer to reduce the population in the, in the town of West Bend, shot 58 deer at a total cost of only $12,000.
and the deer was then processed and then donated to food pantries. How about that? That's the way to do it. So, how fifty twelve thousand dollars? That's that's I know. still a lot of money, Tom. How it, much are they paying these money. yahoos? Yeah, it's still a lot of money, but it's less than three or four million dollars. You know, you get fifty-eight guys, fifty-eight yokel, you know, local yokels to go out and shoot one for free. Oh yeah, you know they would do it for free. Oh, you better and believe now, it. Now, how do they define sharpshooter? Do they are they getting like some uh, like somebody who's on a SWAT team somewhere? You, you got to be sharply dressed. No, so, so I'm just wondering how do they how do they get what, the what do they yeah, put an what, ad in the paper sharpshooters wanted? Yeah, what defines a sharpshooter? Now I know in the military what defines a sharpshooter. Okay. What does define a sharpshooter in the military? Well, they got to get so many in the center, uh, so many points out of a round of I forget if it's 50 or 100, but you got to get so many in the center to be considered a sharpshooter. You got to get more points than anybody else. It's a, you know, it's basically based on accuracy at a range. That's well, how by that going. I knew, but um, yeah, but I, bet, <laughs> I don't know the accuracy. exact. Yeah. I'll bet our listeners, we got a lot of listeners out there. I bet they're sitting there I right bet you now thinking knows. they know exactly. Um, in fact, some of our listeners were sharpshooters. Probably. I wonder if any of them shot any of those 58 deer up in West Bend. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, you gotta wonder what what determines that and who 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 makes a decision and. But you know, there's enough hunters out here that are are good shots that uh, and who know, you know, what to do and what not to do that w- would do could do it safely. You know, I'm I, guessing. I I'm guessing part of that 12 grand was testing them to make sure they don't have CWD because that's the problem. Is yeah, this they... county where we're sitting right now, we are one of the hotbed counties for CWD, unfortunately. Oh wow! And West Bend isn't that far away, so. Well, that's part of the part yeah. of the hot zone area as yeah. well. Yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah, like you said, testing uh, all the, all the deer were tested for CWD before they were butchered and given to food pantries. So, uh, yeah, part of the cost was in that, too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I suppose the butchering processing, they probably had to pay the people to do that oh. as well. Oh, definitely, without a doubt. Well, so, at least uh, they were smart. They It wasn't a couple million um, like yeah, that crazy plan you're talking about. That almost sounds like the plan they were going to do, I think, in Greenfield or... Or somewhere they were going to start uh, monitoring the coyotes there and tracking them or something stupid like that instead of just shooting them in the head. Well, that wasn't a plan. That they actually did that in New York somewhere. It was around some airfield. They actually did it and spent all that money. And the actual amount of money that went to the deer reduction was only about I forget if it was four or six hundred thousand out of the four million. The rest of it went to the bureaucrats that were, you know, writing up the paperwork for it. I mean, it, it was just a joke. But listen, we got to take a break, Dan. And But when we come back, folks, there's a reason why uh, anglers have gotten the reputation of being exaggerators. Fibbers, if you will. I don't want to use the L word, but ex- let's just call them fibbers and exaggerators, all right? And there's a reason for that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that 
when we come back, and we wish you'd join in, too, at 414-799-1250. We're brought to you by Bait Make Fish Attractants right here on the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hoping we put all our heart into this segment, Tom. Oh, very good. Bad <laughs> very joke. Good. No, that was all right. Sometimes it's always nice to throw a, a little line in about whatever music we're saying. And sometimes it fits, you know. So yeah, it's about time you tell us another joke, Tom. Yeah, only no, one that's... that you only will laugh at. No, that's all right. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, fishermen have been known for years as being exaggerators. They kind of like extend the truth a little bit, if you will, about the size of the fish they catch. And uh, it's very self-evident uh, that, like, even many, many years ago, uh, records that supposedly were monster fish not necessarily were. For an example, uh, last week we were talking about the state record northern pike of 38 pounds out of Lake Puckaway. What was that, 1940 or something like that? Well, the, the uh, thing is, huh? Was it something yeah, like that? I'm not sure exactly. Well, anyway, it's 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 it, very few people believe that that is that that fish was 38 pounds. Uh, uh, Daryl Christensen, uh, Randy Reading, they they've looked into this and they they've seen pictures of the fish and they said no way was that fish 38 pounds. Matter of fact, Daryl Christensen has a picture of him with uh, how big was that one? A 24 pounder, Dan? The one with Daryl? Hello? Are you there? Uh oh. Well, anyway, he's got to reconnect to Danny. No, we still can't hear him. I can hear Danny talking, but I can't hear him on the radio. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, the fish was like around 24 pounds, and that thing looked really big, okay? And it doesn't look any smaller than the so called 38 pound one. Yeah, they look around the same. I bet you that 38-pounder was like a 28-pounder, and they just added 10 to it. Now, also, as, as to, to look at people exaggerating, is all you got to do, and, and hey, don't get me wrong, I get along great with John Gillespie. I like John Gillespie. I watch his show. But the people who send in the pictures of their big fish, and, and folks, chime in on this, if you will, 799-1250. The people who send in the big fixture, pictures of their big fish, <coughs> excuse me, those fish uh, are highly exaggerated. Just to give you an example, if you were to Google John's show and go to last week's show, and uh, you see the first three fish for the big fish entries, there's a, a person with a largemouth bass that's about 19 to 20 inches saying it's either 24 or 26 inches, something like that. Then, then there's a guy with a crappie. The crappie is probably 11 or 12 inches, and he's saying it's 17 inches. Then there's another one where there's a bluegill that might be 9 inches, and the person is saying it's 12 inches. Now, folks, we can see. We're watching TV. If you've been around fish as long as I have, and I'm sure a lot of you have been, you can look at it and say, there's no way that fish is what that person is saying. As a matter of fact, I feel sorry for this young man. Uh, in uh, in a recent publication, 
a young man. Uh, he's got to be about, I don't know, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old. He didn't send in the photo. I'm sure some adult did. And in the picture, in the caption of the photo, and he's holding a nice bluegill, and it says that this young man caught a seven and a half inch bluegill that weighed one and a half pounds. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> you know, anything in nature is possible, but some things are highly improbable. This well, is one of them. Well, Tom. Uh, the, 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 oh, there the, he is. He's back again. There I've, been, he is. I've been, been here the whole time. You've been rambling. So, oh, anyway. I've been rambling. <laughs> So anyway, uh, the difference between me and you, Tom, and we've talked about this before, if a guy tells me something, I'm more likely to just say, oh, that's nice, and you're the one who's going to shoot him down and tell him, no, that was only just, uh, that wasn't that big. <laughs> now, yep. now the, the, the letter that, uh, you know, for those that Christensen is, he's, he was a great pro bass angler. Uh, he's a good Christian man. He speaks at different uh churches uh, and uh, banquets. In fact, I think uh, our friend uh, Mike McGivern had him on Faith in the Zone a while ago. But anyway, uh, the, the letter that Daryl sent to Randy, he said after taking, after talking area and sending it to Pike researcher Jan Eagers, Eagers, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Yeah, he's, he's from Europe, right? Yeah, he's known as yeah. the Pike Ferret or something like that. He's like one of the experts. He chases big pike all over the world. Um, Anyway, uh, so he sent it to him to look at it, and basically Daryl and even close to 38 pounds. A photo and caption and caption in the Montello Tribune at the time said it was 28 pounds. Um, so <laughs> basic, so somehow it went from 28 pounds to uh, 38 pounds. Yeah, we got a caller on this, Danny. Let's let's see what the caller has to say. We got Carl. Who do we got Sam. Carl in Port Washington. Hey, Carl, good morning. How you doing? Great, Tom. Good morning. Uh, good. Yeah, you know, years ago, a friend of mine, he had a 10-pounder. He got him in Canada, and that was his big... A 10-pound what? Walleye, I'm sorry. Okay. Walleye, big walleye. And then uh, he got another one a few years later. I got a 12 and a quarter, and I went over there. He had them on the wall next to each other, and the, the just two-pound difference, 10 to 12 pounds, that was a different animal. It, the head was so much bigger... Uh, what happens is the head gets bigger, and then all of a sudden it looks like a different fish. Yeah. Two pound, two pound difference. That's it. Maybe and it was all in the head, huh? The kid got no way. I've caught one pound bluegills, and oh. they, they're big. You can you know, you can't get your hand around them. Years ago, when I had my store, uh, I would have a contest. Okay, an ice fishing contest, mm -hmm. and people would come in with their fish. I take their picture, and every. I forget if it was every week or month or what. I think it was every week they would win a prize, right? And a guy came into the store, and he says, Hey, I got a couple of one-pound bluegills here to show you. Yeah. And I looked at them, and I said, and I measured them, and I said, Yeah, those aren't one-pounders. They're more like about, you know, three-quarters of a pound. Yeah. They were like nine inches. And and oh, the yeah. guy said, Oh, yeah, those, those are one-pounders. And I said, no. he says, How do you know they're not, a, you know, one-pound bluegill? I said, because I've caught a one-pound bluegill, and if you would ever catch a one-pound bluegill, you'd know that that isn't a one-pound bluegill. So, yeah. and then we weighed them. We weighed them, and uh, one was uh, 12 ounces, one was 13 ounces. Uh -huh. So, but yeah, you know what I'm saying, Carl. You know, yeah, oh, yeah. sometimes oh, yeah. we... Well, I've seen one-pound bluegills. I've caught them. Not many, how yeah. long, but I've caught them. So, guys, it, how long would a one-pound bluegill, on average, have to be? At least 10 inches, right, Carl? At least. 
10 or 11, yep. 10 and a half. Yeah. And you, can't get half, your hand, yeah. and you can't get your hand on the average guy from the top of the back to the belly. You can hardly grab him. Right, exactly, exactly. It, it, it's just a different animal. Now, mm-hmm. Carl, what you say about the difference between that 10 and 12-pound walleye, I have seen that myself in my boat where you'll catch a 10-pound walleye up on the Bay of Green Bay, and then you'll get one that's you know, 12 pounds, and you're right. It looks like a different animal. It's got a bigger head. The big head is the one thing that does make it look like a, a different beast. You are correct. And, and, and you know, you, oh, and I you was going to say, Carl. Bay Green Bay, I've had friends that caught uh, walleyes up there. Uh, one friend of mine caught a, what was it? It was 10 and a half pounds, but it was only like 27 and a half, 28 inches long. Oh, wow. And I said, and I saw the pictures, and I go, yep, that's a Green Bay walleye because it had a big gut like a largemouth bass. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because they're forage base. You know, Carl, right above Danny where he's sitting, there's three beautiful large walleye mounts. How big are those fish, Dan? Well, one of them is mine, which was uh, an 11 and a half pound walleye, but two of them are. Uh, the uh, fishing expert master Steve Milliot's walleyes, I believe they're from Bay to Knock, and they were 12, 13, 13 pound walleyes, and I hate to say it, but it kind of ticks me off that Steve gave me these walleyes and put them right next to my 11 and a half pounder, because I'm starting to feel a little insecure when I look at mine, which is a beautiful fish compared <laughs> to his. Yeah. You know, they're they're, they're all big, huge walleyes. They all got the big head like uh, like Carl's talking about. But uh, Steve's are, are longer. And, uh, yeah. man, those yeah. those big fish, it is, it is incredible. And you can catch one that uh, is shorter, you know, like, like Carl's saying, around a 27, 28-incher and, and with a huge gut and have walleye on your hands. It won't have the giant head, you know, but it'll, it'll still weigh 10 pounds because of the enormous girth on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Carl, I want to thank you for calling and weighing in. Do appreciate it. Nope, no problem. Have a good day, you guys. Thanks, and thanks for listening. Talk to and you just, later. And I know we're going to break, Tom, but just... Mm-hmm. Uh, Daryl not only uh, is dubious about the uh, state record pike, but he, he says this. He says, uh, I pretty much feel the same way about the state record walleye and, and largemouth bass. Those old records seem pretty unlikely. And I, the, I, 18 pounds, one ounce. And that, I mean, man, that's a big walleye out of High Lake, I believe, right, Tom? Yes, 1932 by Tony Brothers out of High Lake, which is like right across the road from Palmer Lake. So. And which, which, which lake has the state record largemouth, Tom? Um, I I know that I should know that. You're just the like bass guy, that. man. I know I I do know that uh, it's out by Madison. Uh, oh geez, I'll get back to you after the gut report. How's that? <laughs> you know it's of funny. All uh, knowledge. Yeah, but you know the thing is, is that uh, it it you know those those older records there 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 was like no proof. You know what I mean? There was no proving it. I mean, how do you prove it? Well, I've got the picture of that supposed uh oh no i guess i don't have the picture i got a picture of daryl christensen right uh with his big with his big pike i thought i had a picture of that alleged 38 pounder yeah but you're I mean, right not, 
nowadays you you gotta you gotta there's you gotta go jump through a lot of hoops to prove what you got. You know, well, you gotta have a problem, DNR guy there and a scale. What? Well, the problem is, Tom, uh, everybody's such a doubter, guys like you, uh, that nobody wants to believe anything about anybody's fish these days. So if you caught what you thought was a world record muskie, well, maybe not necessarily in this order. Your mother, your priest, <laughs> the DNR, a judge, a warden, and maybe one uh, one other impartial witness riding by on his bike because nobody would believe it. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, though. In, in, in my time on this earth, uh, I've known a number of people, and you're, you're one included, Dan, that if, a, if that person tells me a size of a fish they caught, I believe them. I don't doubt them. Because they have proven over the years that they, they're not BSers, okay? That, as a matter of fact, sometimes those people, like yourself and myself, will sometimes underestimate the size of a fish that we caught and released because we don't want to be known as that guy, you know? Well, they, a friend of mine, my buddy Tim Coleman, told me this, I don't know, 40 years ago. He said three things a guy lies about. Their girlfriends, their checkbook, and their bench press. Got a fourth to that, their fish. Four things guys lie about. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, Dan. A number of years ago, um, a, a former friend of mine said to me, he said, oh, Neubauer, you, just, you lie like every other fisherman. And I said, I don't have to lie. I said, my deeds speak for themselves. <laughs> and oh. then, he, they, then he called me a name and walked away. <laughs> well, anyway, we got to go to a break, folks. Uh, you got any input, 799-1250 is the phone number. And uh, coming up next is the gut report. Stay tuned. I got a good one on fish. You might want to okay, try it's this. About, it's something it's different. Time. Yeah, something fish. different. Yeah. We like fish, yes. So stay tuned, folks, for more. We're brought to you by uh, Bait Made Fish Attractants, and we are the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors uh, right here on, uh, what are we on anyway? 12.50 a.m. and 105.7 f.m. The Fan. Come here. I'm going to eat you. I'm bigger than you. I'm higher in the food chain. Get in my belly. Okay, first of all, I got to say, what? Is the proper pronunciation? Is it pecan or pecan? Maybe we should have that as a poll question of the week. Pecan or pecan? Well, anyway, what do pecans have to do with fish? And 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 it, well, I'm going to tell you what they got to do with fish. This is what I want you to do. You take your two pounds of walleye or bass fillets and you pat them dry. Put on the side. Then you mix some egg and milk in a shallow bowl, okay? You put that on the side. Then you combine your crushed, you want to finely chop these pecans. You want about a half a cup of finely chopped pecans, uh, about a quarter cup of flour, and then some salt and pepper to taste. And you put that on the side. Then you spray a large pan with cooking spray and heat to, to about medium. First you put the fish in the egg mixture, then you put it in the flour and pecan mixture, and then you place in the hot pan for about five to seven minutes on each side. Now, what also goes good with this is a little melted butter across the top. But now you know what pecans and fried fish have in common. Pecan crusted walleye. You might like it if you like pecans, or should I say pecans. Oh, 
the gut report. <laughs> I almost forgot. This is brought to you by, oh boy, how could I forget this? The fine people over at Discount Liquor. You realize it's their 60th year in business. No other liquor store has been local and original family owned for that many years. There's a reason people have been in business that long, that they have been in business that long. Price, service, and selection. Now, what I got to go over there is, and I got to see if they have any Laduca Table Red Wine. And I guarantee you, if they don't have it, they will get it for me. So go to DiscountLiquorInc.com for weekly specials. DiscountLiquorInc.com Skibberbuds Cutting Edge Outdoors. We are brought to you by Baitmate Fish Attractant Coleman Insect Repellents. Make sure you have both next time you head out on the water. Yeah, and I guess we got our friend Randy Reading on the line giving us a buzz. Yeah, Randy Randy was the one who uh, contacted Daryl and did the research on that Lake Puckaway Pike, so we thank Randy for that. Yeah. Are you there, Randy? Yeah. Oh, hi, Randy. <laughs> Hey guys, yeah. All I did is send an email, and uh, you know, I Daryl was born and has lived up there all his life, so I I knew he'd be an excellent resource. I didn't expect to get back what I what I got, and it got me thinking. Son of a gun, you, uh, Danny, got me thinking about this when you mentioned it the other week about the just the possibility of growing a fish that large, and it seemed very very unlikely simply because I fished up there since I was very young, and, and it didn't have a reputation. It was more a reputation for numbers, actually, when it came to pike. So I thought, well, yeah, okay, you know, Daryl's such an excellent resource. If anyone has insight into that, and, of course, uh, Danny, you saw what he came up with. And, um, you know, I just think it's startling. Off of your point, Tom, he, he, my brother, I couldn't believe how upset he was. I mean, he was... He was very young when we, I, I started taking him when I could first drive. I took, we took him, uh, I took him up there. We'd go fishing the uh, Lake Montello, puck away all the lakes in that area. And uh, he was quite upset about this because he thought Puckaway was an excellent fishery and he didn't need any fake news to try to make it into something that wasn't, which I thought was a curious response. But, uh, yeah, there's no way. And off of what you were talking about, Tom, um, not that I want to be a killjoy or anything, but I think they should have an asterisk next to the records that have been verified by certified scales and witnesses. I don't think you have to disparage the old ones, but just maybe put an asterisk and essentially have modern-day records versus these old folklore records. And that would be one way to uh, significantly, you know, distinguish between the two. Um, I think that'd be a good idea because there's just no way, Danny. I mean, we can look at that fish. Uh, all you have to do is look at other pictures of fish around 40 pounds or uh, 40 inches to 45 inches. And Randy. Oh, I mean, they do say it's 45 and a half inches. It was caught in August, August 6th. And there's no way during the summer that fish is trying to maintain weight. It's not putting on weight. I, 
I've actually, Randy, I do have the picture that you did forward to me. Uh, it's some guy, J.A. Ron, and he's holding a vertical hold. And in looking at this pike, I would say that could be a 28-pound pike. It's a big pike. But like you said, I mean, I've held muskies that were over 35 pounds that were way bigger than what I'm looking at right here. Exactly. There's no, in the, the clay, as Daryl pointed out, they, they, it is established that the fish was 45 and a half inches long. And I don't know if there's ever been a pike caught in August that's 45 and a half inches long that's 38 pounds. So the question is, yeah, I'm not trying to disparage the old records. And they're interesting to talk about. You know, we're killing a few minutes on a Saturday morning here. It is interesting. Um, but I think it does maybe take a credibility away from some of the other legitimate records and maybe an asterisk establish modern aid records and base that on certification uh, uh, with a certified scale and a couple of witnesses. By the way, uh, I think it was Lake Ripley, the largemouth yes. bass came from. Uh, I was going to bring that up and tell Danny I, I looked it up. I, for some reason, I had a brain fart in, in break, Lake Ripley in 1940, and and that that you know fish's size is always under question too because I'll tell you what in my lifetime I seen one legitimate eight pound bass one legitimate one and that thing was a monster you know so uh, you gotta wonder I, I believe I believe the smallmouth bass record though of nine pounds one ounce I, that I believe. But largemouth one, boy, I don't know. It, it's possible, you know? It's possible. Yeah. Who knows? And again, I think you know, we won't have to go after the old records, but I think a way no. you can do it is distinguish and give credit to the ones that have been weighed on a certified way, um, scale and have had a couple witnesses. That's the process that DNR has now. Right, and that's what we need. Hey, listen, we got to go to a break. Oh, break. we yeah. got to play the horn schwaggle. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, yeah. Randy. See ya. And coming up next is the Hornschwaggle. So if you want to be a contestant and win a $10 gift certificate to Carl's Country Market out there in Menominee Falls, on uh, right on the corner of Pilgrim and Silver Spring, uh, also you can win a, a really nice prize from Baitmate Fisher Attractants and Coleman Insect Repellents. So if you want to win these nice prizes, all you got to do is call 799-1250. That's 414-799-1250. And listen to three Danny's three statements and guess correctly at two out of three, and you will be a winner. So call now, 799-1250, to be a contestant in the Hornschwaggle. We'll be right back with more. the Skibber Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. I'm Dan Bush along with Tom Neubauer. Hey, we want to thank you guys for uh, for getting a ride on the crazy train with us today. We appreciate all of our listeners. Once again, we always and have for years have thanked the, uh, we support Back the Badge, the law enforcement officers, uh, first responders, military, healthcare workers. We appreciate everything that you guys do. And uh, we've got our Hornschwaggle segment right now. Do we have a lucky corn testin, Sam? Yes, today we got Roger and Cudahy. 
Good morning, Roger. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, is this Randy's brother? Uh, yes, it is. I thought so. You call in uh, on the sports talk stations quite a bit. I hear you a lot. Yeah, quite a bit, yeah. 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 Anyway, so, go ahead. So, Danny. so, so, Roger, you were the one that was what? What you were upset that we debunked that uh, that record up there? Was that it? Uh, kind yeah, of the deal? Yeah. Well, I don't know upset, but I just definitely disagree with with it, and uh, I think you guys are on the right track to try to try to get some clarity and some you know some type of recognize it correctly. I mean, that fish is not. There is no way that fish is even close to what it claimed to be. And, you know, well, that, you know one. You know one of the biggest controversies uh, was the world record. Maybe continues to be a controversy. The the Louis Spray right. three world records and sixty nine pounds, fifteen ounces or whatever it was. And uh, you know you had Pete Mena, I believe, was the one who first and and he's from in that up in that area and he was one of the first to openly, I believe, question it. You got John Detloff up there, who obviously has his resort up there, real nice place, and he's a good guy, but he's got kind of a vested interest in in believing those records. But uh, myself, personally, on those records, I'm highly dubious as well. So anyway, let's get to the Hornswoggle. Okay. Today's a topic, firearms. Here we go. Okay. Uh, the caliber 22 long rifle. The 22 long rifle caliber is one of the most popular rounds in the world. Hornswoggle or no Hornswoggle? Oh boy, I'm gonna say it's a no Hornswoggle. No Hornswoggle is correct. That's right. The 22 yeah, long right. rifle, man. Um, that's probably killed just about every everything there is in America, uh, in the world, you know, somebody might have, you know, shot a bear in the eye with it, but not that we're recommending 22 long rifle yeah, for bear. But I questioned it would be uh, if you said the world. I don't know, like in Europe and other countries, I, I really don't hear much about the 22. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I per, perhaps I should have said North America. But I'm pretty sure the 22 long rifle, I'm guessing it's probably uh, branched out in other European countries, I'm quite sure. It's just such a useful, useful round. Okay, you're one for one. We got a ring, Sam? Oh, yeah, he did that. Did he do it already? Okay, sorry, oh, yeah. Sam. I, you know, I, I know you're... <laughs> I was like, okay. wait, wait a minute. Sorry, Sam. Okay, uh, you can go back to watching the Spanish channel there in the studio. So anyway, the uh, lever-action rifle. The lever-action rifle is great for deer size game, but not effective for large... Swoggle or no horn swoggle? Did you say that it is? Could you repeat it? Okay. Uh, lever action rifles are uh, great for deer sized game, but they are not effective for game larger than deer. Horn swoggle, no horn swoggle. I'll say no horn swoggle, or a horn swoggle, I'm sorry. Horn, horn swoggle, that's correct, yeah. In, in fact, uh, right here in Wisconsin, the Henry rifle makes, uh, Henry Repeating Arms makes great lever action rifles. They're making some calibers like 4570 and some other big calibers now, and, and, and you can actually tackle some of the, the, the big bears, not some of these right. uh, some of these cartridges. And you're two for two, so you're already a lucky winner. So you That's can right. go away feeling good today. You can put this, you know, prize right next to your soccer trophy from third grade. So here's the next one, though. Um, in lever action rifles, the 30-30, the 30-30, and the 30 
are, are two of the most popular uh, calibers in the uh, Model 94 series of uh, Winchester lever actions. But the 32 Winchester Special is quite a bit more powerful than the 3030. Hornschwaggle or no Hornschwaggle? Uh, I would I would say a Hornswoggle again. Hornswoggle, correct. The uh, 32 Winchester Special, um, even though it's slightly bigger, really, as far as ballistics, it's it's almost identical to a 30-30. So there's you know some debate why did Winchester even do special when it really doesn't do anything more than a 30-30. But uh, that's uh, that that's a whole nother story as far as the history of that cartridge. But you're three for three. So it's good talking to you there, Roger, and uh, you'll leave your information with Sam I Am, and we'll get those prize packages out to you, buddy. Okay, guys, thanks a lot. Yeah, take care. Bye now. Yeah, I bet you Roger didn't realize he knew so much about firearms and cartridges and that, Danny. Well, you know, I try to ask questions that I know. You know, I, I don't try and come up with obscure facts, you know, out of some book. I just try and come up with some things that if I know, I'm thinking that, well, maybe Joe Schmo or your average hunter Are you, wait a minute would now. know it. <laughs> you mean an obscure fact isn't uh, uh, Harley Warbleschwinkle created the... <laughs> Well, that's Hick, that's Hickenlooper. Hey, oh, you know the Hickenlooper? There's there, Tom. Tom, there's a Hickenlooper. I think running for office somewhere. Are you kidding? I, really? It, no. National, like some somebody, one of our listeners probably probably can enlighten us. But there's some. I don't know if it's Congress, Senate, something somewhere, some somehow there is a Hickenlooper out there that is a politician. And you know what, Tom? I want to shake his hand. I would like to meet Hickenlooper. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the only one you'll ever meet, right? Except, unless he's got kids, or she. Might be a, might be a she, who knows? I don't know, you know, the Hickenloopers have a long history, and, uh, you know, they came over on the Mayflower, I think. I think <laughs> I think that's when Ed, Sir Edward Hickenlooper came over on the Mayfair first. Yeah, yeah. He was okay. the first to chop down a tree when they built the log cabins there. It's, it's the known fact. That uh, with the Indians. They yes, he did. Hickenlooper. Yep, yeah, he did. So anyway, we, we have explored about how uh, fishermen are exaggerators uh, and uh, how most fishermen are. Not all of them, but that's how fishermen have gotten that reputation because they do tend to exaggerate. A lot of people do. And it, you know what? I bet you when they were catching Nile perch in the Nile and one of those guys went up to the pharaoh and said, I just caught a 70-pound perch. And it was really only 40, you know, because he wanted to get get some extra corn or something. Uh, <laughs> I bet you they were, uh, you know, making up stories even thousands of years ago. Yeah, well, I think it's a little different lying to the pharaoh, Tom. I think if you <laughs> lied to the pharaoh, it's a little bit different than BSing to Tom on the bar stool. I think you lie to the pharaoh, they like bury you in some desert with your head and yeah, and generally put, not and a good idea to lie to the pharaoh. Yeah, bury you with just your head showing and then smear your head with honey. And then all the nasty bugs will be coming out after you. So, Oh, and by the way, before we go to break, I got I to gotta tell you this, Dan. We, uh, I, I was uh, sitting here looking out the, the window, and at first I looked out and I went, oh, my God, there's a coyote standing there. 
But then when I looked at it a little closer, I realized it was just one of those fake coyotes to keep the uh, the geese away, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and you want to know what, Tom? What? It's fake, too. <laughs> yeah, they probably do. But right now, down here, there's a, a mama duck, and she's got six in her little brood of baby ducks they're sitting little on the brood. grass right out here oh, yeah they're sweet. feeding they're they're eating some grass they're all kind of oh, like oh look together. at the little duckies let's yeah. throw and, them some corn and, and she's only like like they're only like five or six feet away from the truck who's putting gas into the pontoon boats and they feel just comfortable like nobody's going to bother them but she's on yeah. watch I got but news anyway, for you. The, They're going to get blasted during hunting season this Oh, morning. yeah, they'll grow up and get it. Ducks so. are made for flying and dying. <laughs> and eating, too. Because they're very good. I like duck. Duck soup! Anyway, anyway we got to go to a break. Top of the hour. So, uh, when, no, no, no update at the top of the hour right now, but uh, we got a couple of commercial breaks, and we'll be back with the second hour. How about that, Dan? When When we come back, I want to talk a little squirrel, Tom. Okay, you're a little squirrely anyway. No. We'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Entercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi and every river, lake, and field in between, let's talk everything outdoors. Avon! Ha ha! Welcome to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on Sports Radio 1057 FM, The Fan. Hey, welcome back, folks, to the second hour of Power with He's Dan Bush, I'm Tom Neubauer, and Sam Schmitz is on the boards. 799-1250 is the phone number if you want to get in touch with us. And you know, we come to you every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. We are live, and we are definitely unrehearsed. As a matter of fact, Danny, I think we're the I, we're the only show in uh, radio show in Wisconsin that's two-hour live show. On outdoors, you know that that's crazy when you think about it. But anyway, you wanted to mention something about squirrels. Well, uh, more than mention, Tom. You know, I want to talk a little squirrel here today. I mean, uh, I know you were kind of fond of the ducks we were looking at there. Squirrel. You guys know I love to squirrel hunt, and um, in fact, many years ago we had uh, Wendell Holloway of Squirrels Unlimited on our show, and I believe he was down in Arkansas. Now, unfortunately. Uh, Squirrels Unlimited, or as it was affectionately known as Skew U, kind of like that. I had a shirt Skew U on it, but Troy Woodrow got it on me years ago. Um, no longer exists, I don't think. I, I don't think they could quite drum up the support that Ducks Unlimited got. But I like squirrel hunting, and I'm getting excited because uh, September, it's going to be coming up right around the corner. But there's an interesting article in Peterson's Hunting Magazine, August 2020. And it talks about, uh, the title is, uh, it's by Michael Pendley, Small Game, High Praise, How Squirrel Meat Made America Great. Almost sounds like that should be one of Trump's slogans, huh? Make <laughs> yeah. America great with squirrel, yeah. squirrel with meat. With squirrel meat, yeah. So anyway, anyway, just a few, I know our listeners 
hear this. Few fascinating facts. Uh, you know the Lewis and Clark uh, uh, expedition. Uh, they actually acknowledged the squirrel in September 11, 1803, uh, in the journals of Lewis and Clark when they observed a number of squirrels swimming the Ohio River and going from the west to the was this big migration. And I've and I've heard about that before. I've read books where years ago they would actually witness, you know, tens of thousands of squirrels like migrating, just just going from one area to the, to to another, uh, which sounds kind of crazy. Uh, evidently, they were uh, going or, or maybe uh, the, the speculating, uh, looking the climate might might have been in effect. But we haven't really seen any migrations now. Uh, other inf information it says here, uh, it says. The, this country might not even exist today if not for our, our love of squirrel meat. Uh, the elite Minuteman troops of the colonial militia were expert marksmen, and they were said to be able to shoot a squirrel in the head at 200 yards with their Kentucky long rifles. Now, I don't know about I, you, Tom, but <laughs> th does that sound that. like maybe a bit of an exaggeration? Are you sure they weren't fishermen, too? Well, that's what I'm wondering, but pretty good. And and that's one of the reasons that uh, helped us win the war, because uh, the colonists were ex effective skirmishers. They could appear quickly, hit the British troops, and disappear. And they were darn good shots. Um, and, then, and then squirrel meat has been eaten for years. In fact, the 18th edition of the original White House cookbook listed a recipe for squirrel soup which was a favorite dish of President James Garfield. Well, you know what Napoleon Bonaparte once said? What did he say? An army travels on its stomach. And, you know, so way back when, you know, like you were talking about the, the Continental Army, they, they had to travel on their stomach, and it's not like people were sending them food. They had to go out and forage for themselves. So, yeah, I can see where squirrel played a big part, you know. And then the other interesting thing about of the article, they talk about Brunswick stew. Now, Tom, I know you know who you know marches to the beat of eating good food. Well, you are the gut report man. Have you ever heard of or had or made Brunswick stew? I would have to say negatory on that. Nope, that's, never that's have. That's a negative. Wow, I would I've think of, that if I've anyone. I've heard of Brunswick. Huh. I've heard of the, 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 the Brunswick Island. I've heard of that, <laughs> but i never heard of Brunswick stew. <laughs> what do you mean, where's Brunswick Island? Isn't there a Brunswick Island up there off of the Canadian coast in the Atlantic Ocean? Gee, I'm glad you asked that, Tom, because here's some interesting history on Brunswick. Uh, Brunswick stew, kind of a battle, Tom. There's kind of a, some controversy over where Brunswick stew originated. On the one hand, the town of Brunswick, Georgia, features a 25-gallon iron pot atop a town monument. The inscription claims the pot to be the very one in which the Brunswick stew was made on July 2nd, 1898. But then again, the folks in Brunswick County, Virginia, they claim to an even earlier 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 uh, origination the historical marker there claims an enslaved african-american cook named jimmy matthews made for a hunting party of dr creed haskins in 1828 
The meal was an immediate hit and came to be known as Brunswick stew. So there's some real controversy on where Brunswick stew actually came about, but squirrel is the prime ingredient. Yeah, and like I told you before, when, when I was younger, we would uh, we would shoot screw, squirrel, and uh, what we would do is we'd boil it until, you know, like just like with the chicken or turkey, like if you boil a carcass, you know, to make soup out of it, you get all the pieces of meat come off the bone. The bone is easy to find and throw away. Well, that's what we do. We'd boil the heck out of that squirrel, and uh, and all the meat would be left and throw away all the bones, and we'd just add barbecue sauce to it, and it was wonderful. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, what you talk about as far as boiling, um, it's kind of similar to this recipe because they make this big stew and they got this uh, recipe where you take either two large fox squirrels or three three grays and salt and pepper, vegetable oil, beef broth, carrots, onions, uh, diced tomatoes, uh, green chilies, uh, some corn, a bunch of other stuff brown sugar, tomato paste, Worcester, hot sauce, and you put it and you make this big stew, and it says the best way to make it is like a crock pot now where you cook it for a long time. But it, mm-hmm. it, they got it. They got this recipe here, and it looks delicious. Well, it sounds like it'd be good. Maybe you ought to do that uh, this winter. Make some of that. What do you think? Well, maybe I'm, I think I'm going to make this. I'm going to use this. It's called Instapot Brunswick Stew time recipe for turning older tougher squirrels into a delicious meal and especially Tom being as I'm a trophy squirrel hunter like I don't go out and just shoot any gray squirrel right oh no I let the grays oh no no that's below me I'm you know I'm like a snob I'm a squirrel hunting snob so like if I just see a regular squirrel most times I'm gonna let him walk I'm looking for that big giant fat fox squirrel that's what i'm looking for the one that's weighing two pounds and uh, my goal someday is to get a true three pounder on a certified scale but i might have to go back to missouri to do that that's true yeah that's i guess that's what you told me they got a lot of big ones on there you know i was uh are are you done with the squirrel talk i mean i I don't want to interject anything no i got no no, matter of fact i'm not tom i'm glad you asked okay good you want to know do you want to know why squirrel meat is so good to eat uh, because it's, it's all a, dark meat? I don't know. Okay. And they so feed on the nuts? fact is that they, well, you know, you just won back your genius status. So they have a diet <laughs> rich in acorns and nuts, the same okay. foods that give the famed Iberico pork from Spain its prize-winning flavor. Have you oh, ever heard of that? Iberico, I-B-E-R, pork from Spain. Have you ever, ever heard of that, Tom? No, no. Iberico pork. I'm surprised. I would think you'd be in a... I be, boy, I'm probably mispronouncing this. Well, maybe they call this. it that because it's from the Iberian Peninsula. You you truly are a genius, Tom. I, how you put two and two together and come up with three is amazing. <laughs> so I'm going to... But anyway, this great information I have, uh, courtesy of Peterson's <laughs> Hunting Magazine by Michael Pendley, and pick it up on your newsstand because they got a great squirrel recipe. You know, the best squirrel recipe I ever had, I got from the Squirrels Unlimited newsletter, and I saved that recipe, and you lost that recipe. Oh, But no. it was like a, it was a baked, I think it was called honey mustard baked squirrel. I'm telling you, Tom, 
that was as good as any chicken, as any Chinese food, which I love Chinese food at the Chinese food places because that's where you get Chinese food. But that was as good as anything I've ever had. The back legs with that recipe, and it was fantastic. We had it for 4th of July out here. Waka was loving it. Now I can't find the recipe. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. But I'll try this stew one. That'll be good, too. Yeah. Well, listen, we might as well take a break. Uh, when we come back, no fishing talk for me, Danny, but I got, I got it. Oh man, I should have saved this till next week, but I got to tell everybody the best pickles you'll ever make. Cause you know, my garden, uh, I've been picking cucumbers and pickles in my garden for about two weeks now. And I've already had to make a batch of pickles and I'm going to be making some more today. Uh, I, you know, a lot of people wait until Memorial day to start their garden. I started as soon as possible. First week of May, dime, I got that baby going. So I've been, as a matter of fact, we had to use up a bunch of zucchini yesterday because I have so many of them. But anyway, I'll tell you about that when we get back. They're just delicious. Matter of fact, I should bring some to the studio. Oh, wait a minute. We don't go to the studio. We'll be right back with more of the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors brought to you by Bait Made Fish Attractants. Stay tuned. Okay, welcome back to the Skibber Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hey, thanks for listening. We're in the, our second say hour of power, Tom, because that would be plagiarism. That, that's from that radio Christian show. We can't do that, Tom. Speaking of uh, Born to be Wild, isn't that your theme song? Uh, <laughs> 40 years ago. Okay. 40 years ago. Now uh, my theme song is Born to Take a Nap. Yeah, there you go. I'm with you there. Uh, hey, listen, uh, you know, like I said before the break, uh, you know, a lot of people wait to start their garden until Memorial Day or Memorial Weekend. But I've always been a firm believer that doing it as soon as I can. I mean, like like first week of May, second week of May would be late for me. But this year, we had kind of a cool spring right around that time. And we had some storms in there. But as soon as I was able to, I planted... And uh, so that's why a lot of my stuff is coming up, you know, earlier than a lot of other people. Like all my different tomato plants all have tomatoes on them, but they're not red yet. They're all green. But the things that are that I've been picking already have been zucchini, cucumbers, pickles, jalapenos, uh, poblanos, green peppers, um, and yellow Hungarians. I mean, I've been picking all of those already. And as a matter of fact, so many that I have to start making some pickles. But there's one pickle, Dan. And I know you, you like pickles, right? Different kinds? I'm, I'm not much into the pickles, Tom. No? Oh, I thought you did. Well, anyway, if anybody likes pickles, I have a recipe for pickles that is just so darn good. The no-name bookie's wife gave it to me years ago. She used to give me some of these pickles, right, whenever she'd make them. I finally asked her for the recipe, so I started making them. And, you know, to tell you the truth, I mean, I make the, the dill pickles because my wife likes some of those, but I don't make many. These, everybody likes. I, I don't know. Do, I, do people, You think people would want to know this easy pickle recipe? It's pretty easy. I think they do, Tom. Yeah? 
All right, here you go. This is simple. Take about nine cups of thinly sliced pickles or cucumbers, all right? Slice those babies. Put them in a colander with like one big onion that's thinly sliced and then a half of a big green pepper and a half of a yellow pepper, uh, excuse me, a red pepper, and then slice those thin. Put them all in a colander, mix them up, put about a tablespoon of salt, uh, regular uh, table salt, sprinkle that around, mix it all up, let it sit for 15 minutes, all right? Then rinse them off. Rinse them, okay, dry them, let them drain a little bit. And then you're going to make this. You're going to make, or actually start putting them in jars. And this will make about three or four pints of uh, pickles. Put them in the jars, and then you, you take uh, three cups of sugar and one and a half cups of white vinegar. Put that in a kettle, and don't boil it. Just heat it up enough so it all dissolves into a syrup. And you pour that into uh, all the, the the jars. Now, I should have mentioned that you you should use a half a teaspoon of alum in each jar. And if you like celery seed, give a little dash of celery seed, if you like that. Anyway, and then pour this syrup in the jars. And you might have to add some more, uh, you know, pickles just to make sure, you know, the jars are full. Now, all you got to do is put this, you don't have to can it or heat it, do nothing with it, just put it in the refrigerator and you can eat these the next day. And I'm telling you folks, they are delicious. Just fantastic. So you cannot now Sam, you're gonna have to tell everybody if they want to go to a podcast to if they couldn't write it all down right now, where do they go to hear this again? Every week we podcast at one oh five seven nine from the fan dot com. Click fan on demand presented by John Paul's Buick GMC High One Hundred in Greenfield. Just go to the Cutting Edge Outdoors folder and it should be the first one you see right there. And then and now first now that and they can uh just find about the time that the show was on, you know, like let's say this thing would be about what uh, what do we got like quarter after seven or so, right? Oh, so I podcast the whole show, so it's probably going to be like an hour 15 in, hour yeah. 15, hour 20, something like that, and then uh, then they can hear it, yeah. All right, great, then they can write it down from there. But I mean, I don't know about you, Sam, do you like pickles, Sam? Oh, yeah, when yeah, uh, too, like if we go out to ahead. eat and like. You know how, like, sometimes if you get a sandwich or something, they'll give you a pickle on the side? Yeah, yeah. If my friends or my family don't want it, I take it 25 oh, yeah. times out of 25. Like, when I get a hamburger, I always get dill pickles on my hamburger. Always. I like them. Okay. So, yeah, well, Tom. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say 799-1250 is the phone number. And you got and uh, Sam's got somebody on the line right now. Who do you got? No? Oh, okay, never mind. What's up, Dan? So, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the today, Tom, because my dad, years ago, he, uh, he uh, when, our, when our church bought this, like, couple-acre property to build a new church on, it was going to sit vacant for a year. So my dad's big plan was that he was going to plant pickles there and make a fortune. Well, it, like <laughs> a lot of my dad's great plans, but good. But, you know, I learned more about pickles than what I wanted to because— there's different types of pickles that they, oh, yeah. well, there's categories that they classify them as. So like when you're picking the pickles, certain ones are called this, certain ones are called that. Would you know what those classifications are? No, not are? really. Uh, I, I know some of the names, like I grow these uh, beans and they're called, oh God, I can't remember. They're pole beans, but they got a certain name, blue, 
Oh, blue something or other, I don't know. But I know what you mean because there's different varieties of pickles. In fact, about the only good thing that came out of my dad's big pickle entrepreneurship was that it gave all the neighborhood all the neighborhood kids, all about 14, 15 years old, every kid in the neighborhood within eight blocks had a job picking pickles that summer. What did and, you uh, do with them? He sold them. Yeah. He sold them, and that, and that's why and that's why I know there were certain pickles uh, that were the preferred ones. So like when they were picking them, you you couldn't just you know pick up any pickle and throw them all in a bucket and expect to get paid the same. There were certain certain ones that I don't know if it's based on the size or the shape or whatever that were the were the preferred pickles. Oh, well we got a caller right now. Who do we They're got? cucumbers. They're not pickles till you make them into a pickle. So I guess I right. should be saying cucumbers. Well, I always call the long ones cucumbers and the little ones pickles. That's what I do. But yeah, you're right. They're all cucumbers. So who do we got on the line, Sam? We got Ray and Economwalk. Hey, good morning, Ray. How you doing today? Hey, hi. Doing okay. How are you guys? Yeah, doing just good, right. Looking, looking forward to the rest of the weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, this was some time ago. I think the guy was on the radio, but he was uh, walleye fishing way west. I think it was in B.C., Canada, walleye fishing, and they were catching nice ones, figuring 10, 11 pounders and releasing them. Well, then he catches this other one. It, it's giant. He's like, this fish is twice as big as those ones we were letting go. So he took it in and had a certified scale weigh it, and they told him 11. Oh, it's 11. So 11 pounds. Wow. I thought for sure it was more than that. So he released the fish. Well, then later he went back to that place and found out the scale was on kilograms. That fish weighed 11 kilos. Oh, so that would make it more like 20, 23 pounds something. Right. I don't know what the world record is, but that may have been. Well, they uh, it, the record used to be twenty five pounds out of I think it was Old Hickory. It was Greer's, called Greer's Ferry. Or I Greer's think, Ferry, Tom. yeah. But, okay. Yeah, but um, and, and I think you know you know what I actually uh, I actually heard that similar story did the fishing I think on the I want to say the Columbia River or. In a famed walleye body of water, and the guy was catching some big walleyes. And I did hear the story where he weighed it. It weighed 11 pounds. He thought, well, geez, I, I thought it was a lot bigger than that. And then he let it go and later realized that it was on kilograms. I, I think in Fisherman Magazine or something. So I'm sure that's the same story that you reference. And, yeah, that guy probably threw, threw back the world record walleye. Wow. I mean, imagine it. <laughs> I'd like to see a photograph. Hopefully, you got a photograph of that thing. I I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think back, but I don't know if I saw a photograph of it. Uh, I mean, that would you'd you'd be able to look at a 20 plus pound walleye and and tell that that's bigger than a a 10 pound walleye. That's for gosh darn sure. Right. Right. Well, well, right now, yeah. right now, according to the Hayward Hall of Fame fishing uh, record book. Uh, the world record right now is 25 pounds for a walleye by Marbury Harper out of Old Hickory Lake in uh, 1960. But 
The big butt is most people don't consider that. I've seen a picture of that fish. I have too. And there's no way that fish is 25 pounds. No way. No way. Yep. No way on this God's green earth. But the one that they're thinking is real is the 22 pound 11 ouncer out of Greer's Ferry in 1982. Huh? Where's that old Hickory Lake? Uh, Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee. 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 Yeah. And uh, the the twenty two eleven is out of Arkansas, so you know a lot of people think that uh, walleyes are only uh, up here in the northern part of the country. No, they got them down south too. Well, they there's, get huge in south. they get huge in those big reservoirs, and yeah, uh, and they can grow year round. <laughs> and I think they got pretty much a shad a shad base to eat, yep. which you know like yep. Lake Michigan, it leads so to it so. So my plan is to catch the next world record walleye and then, you know, retire, Tom, and I won't be with you on the show anymore. I'm just going to be traveling the circuit with my mount going to all the fishing shows. That's the plan. There you go. I'll catch you guys later. Thanks, Ray. Hey, thanks for calling, Ray. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Okay, bye now. Well, uh, let me, I got to check the time here. Oh, yeah, it's it's time for a break. Almost 7.30. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm looking outside, there's not a cloud in the sky, it's warm out, it's beautiful, I mean, this is going to be a great weekend, you know. Traffic is light and variable. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, it's going to be a great weekend. But right now, we got to take a quick uh, uh, time out for a commercial break, we got to pay a few bills here. So, uh, folks, stay tuned, he's Dan Bush, I'm Tom Neubauer, Sam Schmitz is on the boards. Uh, We are brought to you by Bait Made Fish Attractants. This is the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Okay, welcome back to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hey, 799-1250 is our phone. Do you have a fishing or hunting report? Yeah, I've, I've got a, a little report from this week, Dan. Um, I got an email this past week from an old friend, Bob Garfinkel. Bob Garfinkel used to own uh, Bob's Bait and Tackle up in Green Bay. And a lot of people, do you remember that? You were from Green Bay, right? Yep. Yeah, Bob's big, big, big store. Bob and his partner Tom owned that. And, oh, right uh, on Velp. Bob's Bay yeah. and Velp. Yeah, I was there many times. Yeah, and uh, when I had my store, Bob and I would either talk on the phone once a week or he'd come down to see his parents in Milwaukee and he'd stop at the store, you know, and we'd talk. We always were talking business and stuff, but after I closed the store and he closed his and then, you know, you kind of, you know, lost touch with each other. And then just this past week, I get an email from him. It said something like a blast from the past, you know. So uh, he started listening to our show uh, last fall. And, uh, and so he's listened, he listens to us every week now. And, uh, so I, I wrote him back and I said, send me your phone number. So he did. And I gave him a call this uh, last week and, uh, man, we must've been on that phone an hour and a half, two hours. <laughs> it was a long time because we were catching up, you know, and, uh, you know, t- talking about the last, you know, 30 years of our life or whatever it's been. And, uh, so it was real interesting to talk to Bob and I plan on, making this uh, 
a regular thing to talk to him every week because he's a fun guy to talk to. So I just thought I'd uh, throw that out there. You know, it's you know it's nice to hear from somebody that you knew years ago, kind of lost touch with, you know, and all of a sudden they're back and you you can you know talk a bit. So anyway, so oh, Tom, and I... then a caller wanted to know, Dan, did you hear that about any right. like Michigan reports? Yep. Did you so, hear anything? I uh, I haven't heard anything. The reports that I've got on, I checked Lakelink, and it doesn't really look too promising right now. It looks like, kind of like we mentioned a week or two ago, people are kind of covering a lot of depths out there, picking away at them, but it, it seems like uh, people are really having to work. Well, first of all, the water temperature on Lake Michigan, closer to shore, well, is uh, like in the mid-70s. Now, that's awfully warm you know, for Lake Michigan. Now, that's why a lot of people are going further out, it seems like. And uh, the other thing is, is that uh, up by Port Washington, um, uh, whose show was that? Uh, was that Gillespie's show last week when they were, uh, yeah, they were salmon fishing on Lake, on uh, up out of Port Washington. And they were catching a lot of coho. As a matter of fact, I think all they caught were coho and real nice ones, you know, two and three-year-olds. And, uh, so maybe maybe fishing is a little bit better up there by Port Washington and, and Sheboygan than it is down here. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but I know on that show they were catching a lot of fish. So, well, you know. regardless of the, the the you know how the season's going, the pros, which of course you know John Gillespie's not fishing with any old schlep rock. That's uh, right. The pro. Jason Wooders of the world, the real sensations charters out of Milwaukee here. Those guys will find a way to always get on the fish. It's your ham and egger guys like me who want to go out there and maybe do a morning out there and catch a couple fish. It's a lot harder. Uh, those big boats, they work multiple lines, multiple depths, multiple techniques, and, and they just have a way in the fish because, you know, that, that's what they do for a living. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, it's like when you, when you see that. And I've been on a number of charters. We... When I was doing outdoor Wisconsin, we'd have to, you know, go out on charters with guys who, you know, donated the trips at the banquet. And so we'd go out and do a TV show with them. And it's just amazing that there'd be like 12 rods out there, you know, with lures on them. And like you say, Danny, different depths, different lures, different techniques. I mean, it's like, my goodness. And you know what? We always found fish, you know, no matter who we were with, because those guys know where to go. And we always found fish. Matter of fact... There was one guy, the the, the leader, uh, Poli, Ken Polianic in the leader. He has a guaranteed fish or no pay policy. And you know what? I think everybody's always paid him. So <laughs> it's pretty nice when you can guarantee fish, you know, where people don't pay. So they got to know what they're doing. You betcha. I don't, you know, I don't know how it's gone further up, you know, up the peninsula. Years ago, Tom, we used to actually fish out of uh, Elgoma. And Elgoma was extremely popular for the charter boats. Um, yeah. And, and, and the, another area uh, up out of Door County, I mean, and around And uh, if you go out uh, the Lake Michigan side of the Door County. So there, there are some areas that, uh, you know, I, I know they're, they're getting some nice salmon. Uh, I just haven't been up there fishing in a long time. Yeah, you know, if people wanted to, you know, during this uh, uh, 
virus, you know, that's going on, this coronavirus, if people want to just get out, you know, let's say they're just sick of being around the house and they want to go out for a nice ride, you know what's really cool is taking a ride up into Door County and go as far as you can go. And when you get to the end of land, there's a big cement dock, okay? And there's a ferry there that will actually take you across to Washington Island if you wanted to. But if you didn't want to, you could just kind of like picnic at that area because there's parking area there and that. You could like have a picnic uh, and watch the ferry dock and then leave and you see Washington Island in the distance. And that, I mean, it, it, it's a cool ride. It's something different, you know, to see. And if you wanted to go to Washington Island, that would be really cool too. And you know what? I, I'm not sure if they allow cars on Washington Island. Do you know that for a fact? I don't think they, I think they do, don't they? Yeah, yeah that's why there? when you go across, you just drive your vehicle you can right take onto your vehicle. the ferry. Yeah, yeah. And you can take your, your vehicle and your boat and go over there. Yeah. And then you fish right in Detroit Harbor. In fact, uh, right. Ron Johnson was up there fishing. I had talked to him uh, a while back. Actually, right when I left Door County, he says, what the heck, I'm going to go take the ferry and go over there. He's going to be with us on the show next week, by the way. So, uh, oh, that'll be great. Ron might have some uh, special uh, giveaways for some of our listeners. So I think it's, oh. yeah, I think it'll be next week. Awesome. Or maybe the week after that. Okay, one of the two. One I guess you'll just, everybody will just have to listen both weeks. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. One time I was up there, and uh, I, I was fishing with for salmon with a guy. He had a big boat, you know. And, uh, you know, we caught salmon up there. And then uh, then I went in a smaller boat, like a 16-foot, you know, V-hull aluminum, and fishing smallmouth over by some of the other harbors that are, there's a couple of other islands, you know, that up there besides Washington Island. And uh, that's where we saw uh, on the beach, we thought there were a lot of sticks, you know, on the beach, and they weren't sticks; they were snakes. So, you know, that was interesting because they were in the water too. And I don't know what kind they were, but they were swimming and came, would come by the boat and that. So I didn't care for that too much. So didn't you say the snakes will... try and climb up in your boat yeah. too? Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah, because they they wiggle their way to the back of the boat, and then they could actually try to get in from the back of the boat yeah it what was, what island was that tom um uh that could have been plum island or plum detroit island? island plum or detroit island i mean they're all right there around uh, washington island but they're smaller islands on yeah they're island. before they're actually as you leave gills rock they're before you get to washington island right correct? exactly right and maybe one of our listeners know what kind of snakes those are up there there's some kind of water snake because they were in the water very easily swimming around and all that. I just, maybe one of our listeners know what those. Well, they're were. not they're not water moccasins, thank no, gosh. No, no, no. I don't think they're poisonous, but but still, but, I wouldn't but, want to get bit by one and find out. Yeah, as a general rule of thumb, a guy really doesn't like to have snakes in the boat. No, not at all. Not at yeah. all. <laughs> That's a good that and hand grenades. Don't like either one in the boat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we gotta go to a break, Dan. So, uh, folks, stay tuned. We are on 105.7 FM, the Fan, and of course, 12:50 AM. Two stations we're on. How about that? We're really growing. Uh, it only took us what 13 years. So we'll be right yeah, back with more, like folks. That. He's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Newbauer. Sam Schmitz is on the board. Stay tuned. We're on till eight o'clock. So don't go away. Oh, I don't care. 
back. Welcome back to the Skipper Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. Thanks for uh, jumping on the uh, jumping on the train today with us there. And people can get on out and do a little fishing this weekend. Yeah, so it's, it's getting a little bit cooler out, so not as uh, not as oppressive. Yeah. So who do you got on the line, Sam? We got Bill from the Sportsman's Den. Okay. Good morning, Bill. Hey, top of the morning, guys. Top of the morning. So, so what do you hear? Ah, big bluegills, Rome Pond, two to three feet of water. Big ones, nice ones, yeah. lots of them. Uh, perch are biting good out on the lake. Really surprising. Yeah. On the big pond, the big perch are uh, best year I've seen in a couple. Uh, Newsflash, night crawlers doubling in price this week. Oh, really? Yeah, they went up uh, from 27 a flat for us all the way up to 47 a flat. They get those from Canada, don't they? They do. They do. But the problem is, is uh, the heat plus everybody fishing. Oh, man, there's going to be a shortage this year. Like, I think they're really going to go sky high. I think maybe people will start picking in their backyard after a good watering, you know? Yeah, well, that's right. Maybe you'll start doing that, Bill. Picking them in the yeah, yard Bill's and then not selling them. Do that. Um, you can come around the store while I do that all night. <laughs> you, know, you know, I think I really think that they ought to get the kids. If you're fishing, let's make them part of the process where for the week before the trip, they go out, they water the lawn, the garden, they go out at night with the flashlight, and they start collecting the night crawlers for the fishing trip, just like young Dan Bush did many years ago. But my dad never had to buy night crawlers for a fishing trip ever. Yeah, same well, here. Good for something, anyhow. Yeah, you know, the golf yeah. Courses are good for that because they water every day. If you don't wreck the greens, stay. If you stay off their greens, they won't mess with you. They won't get mad. Usually, they'll let you do it. But uh, hey, you know, you talk about snakes. When I went in the Marine Corps, I thought I'm going to go practice water fishing for these big bass. Something I always heard about. First time yeah. I get to South North Carolina, I get there, I get out in a boat, and here's a, a snake drops out of a tree and starts coming after me, trying to get in there. It was a water moccasin. I never Ooh, went wow. fishing again. That was the last largemouth bass fishing I ever did in North Carolina. <laughs> said, no, 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 no. <laughs> hey, listen, we're stocked up. We have everything. We don't look like a fleet farm shelf. We have everything anybody needs. All right. Well, that's great. And Thanks, you're on guys. the Sportsman's Den is on 54th and Villard. See Bill over there. Uh, if you got any questions, just Google Sportsman's Den, Milwaukee, 54th and Villard, and you can give them a call. Thanks for calling, Bill. Hey, I appreciate you guys. Bye-bye. All right, bye hey, now. Tom. You know, oh, yeah. I got something I want to bring up. What's that? Okay, can I bring something up, or do you have something dire planned here? No, I was. I, I can wait. Oh, okay. Um, so, anyway, I've been getting a lot of comments and emails uh about remember we talked about ed gein about the what oh ed, ed gein. gein yeah oh yeah did you save that stuff did you got gonna repeat it for us a couple yeah so a couple weeks a couple weeks ago <laughs> uh, I, I i brought him up and i was wondering whether they ever made any movies about that guy and uh so anyway randy did send me an email uh, he was watching an actual documentary on the about Ed Gein on the Reels, R-E-E-L-Z channel, uh, and it was part of a, a series called Psycho, the Shocking Truth. Also, he said there was a, a movie made uh, called Ed Gein, Slayer of Plainfield. 
Uh, he did mention, and I mentioned, Psycho was based on his life. Uh, and then I guess there's another movie on cable that's been running, Ed Gein, the Butcher of Plainfield. So it, it, I guess in answer to my question, yeah, there have been some uh, movies and documentaries made, although I never heard of them. And then one of our listeners, uh, Pete, I believe, he sent me an email of some, like window posters advertising some Gein memorabilia some or something like that. And I just wish I accidentally deleted that. So, you know, we did get some interest, but uh, you were asking about, uh, you know, some of my uh, advertising promotions that I had there uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, I'll go ahead and like I was saying, I, I thought we ought to come up with our Gein series of lampshades. So the Gein lampshade collection. So our slogan would be Gein lampshades. People are dying to get them. Gein lampshades. We got a lot of skin in the game. Gein lampshades. Only made in America. China ain't stealing Wait a minute. this. Start that over. You clipped out. Start over. Which which one? The last one you just did. Only in America. Okay. Gein lampshades. Only made in America. China ain't stealing these, baby. <laughs> Well, I got to look for that movie. I mean, I did see the movie once uh, about Ed Gein, and the guy who played Ed Gein, I don't know his name, but he was in the movie Right Stuff. Uh, I can't think. He's been in a lot of movies, but I can't think of his name. But anyway. No, Danny, I was going to tell you that, uh, you know, I on the show here talk about pre-rigged plastic worms, the ones that come with the hooks already in them, got a piece of line on them with a loop, and you, you put them on a, a, a ball-bearing swivel on your line. I've been you know, talking about that for quite a while on the show here and talking about how many years ago I used them all the time, caught plenty of fish, won a lot of tournaments with them, and then I kind of got away from them, started doing other stuff. And then, then my son, Chris, he, he, he uses them. And he catches a lot of fish on them. As a matter of fact, last week when he called, he was saying that him and his girlfriend were catching all those bass on Kelly worms. Now, I don't know if it's us or what, but Sherpers, which I carry all the different colors of Kelly worms, they're all gone. All gone. Since last week's show, they're all gone. And there's not many of the worm left. The worm, Bill's worm... Uh, Chuck's worm, they're all basically the same, pre-rigged plastic worms. But the Kelly worms at Sherpers and Hills Corners are all gone. So Tom, you got to make an order and get them in. So anyway, that's all I had to tell you. Okay, I, that's they, all I no, got. They, th th those worms, they work fantastic. Uh, when Sandy Flaster went up and fished the Menominee River with guides for a couple of days, that's all he used was the worm, a white and purple one. And he caught 20-inch smallies. I mean, it was unbelievable. Just chuck it out to the shoreline. Uh, it's just a great bait. It is. And it's so easy to use. You throw it out, count to three, reel it in. I mean, it's pretty simple. And so, if you snag uh, it and it breaks off, it's not like you lost a $40 musky lure. Exactly. You're right. And they do catch fish. Bluegills, bass, walleyes, northerns. All kinds of stuff. But anyway, that's all I got for this week, Dan. We'll have to wait for next week to explore other things. That's all I got. To all the listeners, thanks for listening. And God bless and stay free, everyone. You've been listening to the Skibber Buds Cutting Edge Outdoors. We'll talk to you all next week, my friends, and we back the badge. Watch me bleed, but you can't keep no
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.